This is the moment you've all been waiting for. It's time for the Steak for Breakfast podcast. It's Tuesday, January 3rd, 2023, and this is the People's Podcast. This is Steak for Breakfast. This is not Nam. This is bowling. There are rules. Today, Junior, America. Steak for breakfast. So stand by. This episode of the podcast is brought to you, as always, by Man Rubs. Rubs, barbecue tools, blowtorches, t-shirts, coffee cups, and all-around barbecue-related gear for you to make barbecue great again. It can be found at manrubs.com and on Instagram, manrubs. Use the code STEAK15 for 15% off. Also brought to you by Stay Ready Gear. They're at stayreadygear.com and on Instagram, stayreadygearusa. Holsters, custom kydex, mag carriers, tourniquet carriers, on- and off-duty gear. Hot melted plastic made just for you. Need something custom? They got you covered. Use the code STEAK for 5% off. Don't get ready. Stay ready. The Pillow King of Minnesota and the apparatus known as the MyPillow family are bringing you savings to get your new year started right. MyPillow, my robe, my dog bed, the Arlindells, and Giza Dream everything. When you enter promo code STEAK, you're going to get big, big savings there. If you're more of a morning person, they've launched my coffee. It's available in the bean, the bag, and the pod. You get a promo code STAKE here, 25% off your total order. 50 per- 50% off a monthly subscription. MyPillow.com forward slash steak. For everything sleep related, if you want the coffee, MyStore.com forward slash steak. Or you can always talk to a qualified pillow representative, 1-800-658-8045. The top tier of ear gear, the world's most technologically advanced in-studio recording equipment specializing in headphones can only be found at Odyssey. Whether you're gaming, potting. Performing a time heist? Get those ear needs taken care of and done upright. Odyssey.com is the website. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram as well. Our good friend Alan has launched the Patriot Cigar Company. The leaves are hand-picked from the fields of Nicaragua. Aged three years, cigars are hand-rolled. And a promo code stake here, 15% off your order. Every order over 100 bucks, free shipping, $10 e-gift card included with every purchase. MyPatriotCigars.com, a premium smoke for freedom-loving patriots. Mike down at West Coast Survival Arms has been servicing Southern California for over a decade. He's a licensed FFL if you're into the tradesies and don't live in Canada. He's also got a five-star rating. His newly redesigned, easy-to-use website is westcoastsurvivalarms.com. He's on Facebook Messenger and via the telephone, 619-870-6992. Steak for breakfast, Backs to Blue. We love our first responders, and they're always working hard. While they're off-duty, they're probably wearing gear from Mediocre Medic. 
Sweatshirts, t-shirts, flip-flops, fanny packs, and more. Stickers and patches for while they're on the beat. Plus, they've got a pretty fire IG, Mediocre Medic. Dot com is the website there, and last but certainly not least, the gold standard of tactical flair and home of the Zero Flex Duck. Got a new one coming out. You're going to like it, Noah. What is it? It's a Pearl Harbor Remembrance Duck. Oh, nice. Yeah. Don't know what we're talking about? You should listen to the show. Pearl Harbor? Dumpbox.us. Find us on Instagram. Find us on Facebook. Friends, don't forget to follow the show on Instagram and take for podcast breakfast. There you'll find a link tree that'll take you to all our social media, the website, our newest Substack, Telegram channel, and more. On that note, to everyone joining us today on the Patriot Podcast Network via the Roku app, from the Republican High Command, Instagram, Discord, and now via our verified accounts on Twitter, Getter, and Truth Social. Welcome, Tuesday edition, Steak for Breakfast podcast, episode 201. I'm Roan, Noah's here. Yo. Antoinette's keying up as we speak. Guys, we got a great show, a lot of news coming in. Happy New Year to everyone. Uh, we'll be uh, providing as much coverage as we can as we vote for Speaker of the House. In addition to that, everything else that's going on, it seems like we've got a pretty big Mitch McConnell problem. We'll be talking MAGA, we'll be talking tech policy, and a whole lot more. But before we get into any of that, let's jump right into the news. becomes Republican, there's no more one party running over us like they did through reconciliation, no more $1.9 trillion spending spree, plus another 750 in August that sent inflation through the roof. That's over. So I, my message to the president is, let's talk about doing some things that make progress for the country that we can agree on. How was it productive? In, the, in so far as that it was brief. <laughs> Can you elaborate a bit more? I sure could. I mean, has he won your support yet, Congressman? No. Why not? I, I think I've uh, laid that out extensively. i tell you what, I'll send you the speech I gave at Turning Point. I was able to extend my remarks there a little further. But it, I'm just curious, here. when you say productive, it didn't nudge you a bit toward yes? It was brief and productive. That's, that's a different tone than you've struck before. Thanks for noticing. <laughs> so is he giving into your uh, demands? It was a brief and productive discussion. You might vote for him tomorrow? You're not ruined. Is it fair to say you're not ruined? I'm a no. You're a no. This handful of members is um, uh, very clearly looking for notoriety over principle. And that's what it is. And anyone who suggests differently is um, in, in some kind of make-believe fantasy reality. It's not, it's not true. They lost those debates. That should have been the end of it, because that's how a team works, right? You hash this stuff out, you figure it out, and then you move on. But if you're a narcissist, if you're a narcissist and you believe that your opinion is so much more important than everyone else's, then you'll keep going. And you'll threaten to tear down the team for 
for the benefit of the Democrats just because of your own sense of self-importance. That's exactly what's happening here. We will not vote for anyone else but McCarthy. These people think they're stubborn or more stubborn. They think they're not going to get the communities they want. Well, obviously they won't, but it's going to be so much worse than that. You know, they are enemies now. They have, they have made it clear that they prefer a Democrat agenda than a Republican one. Happy New Year. I, for one, am excited for 2023. One party rule in Washington is ending and accountability is coming. Here's to wishing you and your families health, happiness, and prosperity in 2023. That's what I found out in there. I'm furious. Well, let me tell you something. While the conservatives that the base supports and believes in, let me, let me remind everyone, they're not perfect either. Scott Perry, before his general election, refused to vote uh, against the bill that was all about the gay marriage bill. He didn't, but he, he refused to vote against it. He voted for it. Then when it came back around after his election, he was able to vote against it. Conservatives would not like that. Let me remind every, everyone this. Matt Gates, who has compared Kevin McCarthy to Paul Ryan, my friend Matt Gates, he supported Paul Ryan almost more than anyone. It's still on his social media. As a matter of fact, his first vote in Congress was for Paul Ryan as speaker. And then he cheered him on for nearly a year and a half or more when people like me were at home furious at Paul Ryan's speakership because it wasn't passing the MAGA agenda that we all supported. Chip Roy, he refused to object on January 6th. That's not what our base wanted. He also set out the vote for the January 6th committee. There's many more. Bob Good, $2 million from Kevin McCarthy to get elected. Lauren Boebert, under $2 million from Kevin McCarthy to get elected. Many more people have taken Kevin McCarthy's money to get elected, and then there's a few of them that don't want to support him as speaker. So imagine that. This is not anything about the country. This is all about never Kevin. They just don't like Kevin McCarthy. You cannot be successful in anything if you aren't able to walk in a room, make, your, make what you want, and get a deal done, and then walk away with the W and get to work and not worry about who you like and who you don't like. This is not about prom king. This is not about a pastor. This is about electing a person to sit in the speaker chair so that we can all get to work. Well, welcome to the show. This is Steak for Breakfast. And uh, if you're joining us for the first time today, welcome. If you're a longtime listener, welcome back. Don't forget to follow the show across all social medias. Also on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Subscribe to it. Hit notification bells. Do all that fun stuff. I assure you, it'll be worth it. If you're a first-time listener, there was supposed to be a couple of oh. in those last clips. I'm surprised you like Crenshaw off so easy. Nah. In addition to uh, everyone's least favorite congressional pirate, we've heard from uh, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell in there. Obviously, Kevin McCarthy, Matt Gates, uh, Ginger Gates kicked it off with her rendition of the. National Anthem from inside the Capitol Rotunda. That sounded good. Yeah, what a way to bring in the new year. Happy New Year to everyone, and welcome back. Hope everybody's was safe and happy. Hopefully you weren't traveling via commercial airline, because at that Oof. point, you still might be listening to us from an airport. But uh, as at least heading into the new year, we're, all of our priorities are lined up. Uh, it seems like we're all on the same team and ready to go. No one's stabbing each other in the back. And it looks like we're ready to start finally working for the people uh, as we kick off the new year. Not. Pretty bad optics there from just about all the way around. Mitch McConnell obviously saying that he wasn't going to uh, allow things like the $1.7 trillion omnibus bill that passed last week happen back in December. You heard Kevin McCarthy 
making a pitch for his uh, nomination for the Speaker of the House. Nancy Pelosi has officially turned over the gavel, so I guess that is a bright note today. You heard Dan Crenshaw as part of the Always Kevin delegation. Oh. Yeah, Matt Gates part of the Never Kevin delegation. And then, of course, Marjorie Taylor Greene, whose current fall from MAGA grace is uh, well chronicled and documented on Steak for Breakfast. And what can I say other than, listen, we play the audio receipts based off stuff that we've covered over the last three and a half, four years on this show. You listen to it for yourself. You make your own decision. But very bad optics right there. I actually tweeted this morning when she was on War Room saying a lot of the same rhetoric. That is just not good optics or good MAGA television. And, uh, you know, even Steve Bannon let in and said 95% of the MTG base in the chat was was not with her on this. Mm-mm. So I just don't understand what uh, her play is here. It's definitely bigger than just getting her committee spots back, because you would think in a Republican-controlled house she'd at least get on some stuff. Oh, Raheem said she's being blackmailed or something. Yeah. So I did see uh, there was a couple people out there teasing maybe her and Kevin can get a room later and talk about it Ooh. after he doesn't get the speaker vote. So it was a busy weekend in the news cycle. Um, you know, with, with a lot of this stuff going on, we still have the U.S. southern border wide open and getting worse by the second it seems like after we, well, we had put out a substack a few months ago saying that we have a Mitch McConnell pro- problem and we, we outlined a lot of the things that he's done over the course, basically since the Trump presidency that has assisted in derailing a large portion of the MAGA agenda. That includes legislation, but also means candidates as well. You know, it, it's become a lot more prevalent. We saw Mitch McConnell was instrumental in helping that omnibus bill get passed. Uh, actually recruited more members than usual in, in the Senate as far as the delegation goes that usually votes against America First anything. And uh, it's pretty weird. You know, we'll, we'll talk about it a little bit later. Joe Biden's known for his robust schedule keeping. And his first presidential anything of the new year is going to be in a place that you wouldn't expect. Maybe by the time we frame it for you with someone you wouldn't expect either. But sticking in the Speaker of the House race, I saw a lot of the people in the mainstream media, especially on those uh, legacy shows. ABC's This Week did a roundtable, and they were talking about, you know, it's it's really tough to see a pathway for anyone right now that the Republicans are talking about, whether it be Kevin McCarthy, if he continues to fail, and Steve Scalise steps up, whether it's Steve Scalise. Listen, he's he's a lot worse, more connected to the establishment, loves war, easy on China, don't really know his stance on immigration. He says the right things, but when it comes to voting record, it says another, as is the case with a lot of our congressional counterparts right now. And, uh, you know, it seems like a lot of these people that were in the legacy media just loved it up. Let's hear a couple samples. And Rick, what happens? What happens if he loses? They get together. This is in two days. And, and, And the vote for Speaker of the House happens before the new members are officially sworn in. So what happens if there is no Speaker of the House? Chaos. There's no modern precedent for this. It's been, it's been a century since we've seen more than one ballot. And look, yeah, that first ballot goes forward. The first ballot goes forward, and if he doesn't get 218, then what will probably happen is you'll see a motion to, to adjourn or to, to start to see some conversations around, around the sides because there's nothing else they can do. As you said, John, no committees, no structure, no bills can get voted on, uh, nothing else, even the swearing in gets delayed. Now. As you go through the balloting, there can, there's other things that can happen. You can start to cut deals. Mm. You can also change eventually the threshold uh, to, 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 to get 
someone with a plurality instead of the outright majority. But it's going to be long and so, messy. So, so they can have a vote to change the threshold. Yeah, they can vote. Look, Republicans don't want to give the speakership to Hakeem Jeffries. That's not going to happen. And I think everyone recognizes that. And if there is no other viable alternative, then they're going to get to a place where they're going to have to swallow it. But the longer it goes, the more McCarthy gives, the weaker he is as speaker, and potentially the less time he'd be able to serve as speaker, because he may give away some things that would make it easier to depose him down the line. That's the clearest path for him to get it, is for him to allow members to take him down later. And he Well, as you could tell, they were loving it up. Yep. So Antoinette, when you, when you see some stuff, I mean, we've, we've done a good job of outlining this and setting up a, a, a legitimate timeline for our listenership over the course of the last two years in regards to the speakership. Now, when you see things like some of the stuff you heard in the cold open, some we expect from like Mitch McConnell and Kevin McCarthy, but how far Marjorie Taylor Greene has fallen from grace here in regards to just the way her, the you know, her, her entire verbal platform is now, it's, it's beyond embarrassing, but now it's becoming concerning to at least me. What do you think? Oh, I, I agree. I mean, I can't say I'm shocked, but I am a little shocked that she's kind of gone this rogue and in the way that she's ended up, you know, turning out. Um, I mean, I think a lot of people are just showing their true colors and who, you know, who they really are on our side as well. I think so. Noah, do you think it's it's gotten past committee ship and, and definitely you're, you're going to stick with the uh, she's probably at least congressionally compromised now in regards to, I mean, listen, three months yeah. ago, she, she was kicking off every Trump rally at the podium and sometimes getting called up you know, with the people who whose states Donald Trump was in supporting to kind of rally the troops. And, and now we, we heard almost a two minute clip from her through Gates under the bus, through yeah. Boberts under the bus, Bob Good under the bus. And uh, it's here dis- we are. It's disconcerting to see somebody do such a, a drastic change like that. But when it comes down to it, you have to think like maybe this person really wasn't on our team the entire time and they were just going through the motions. Like uh, one of those clips that referenced uh, voting a certain way until they were elected and then mm-hmm. then well now that I'm already voted in I can do what I maybe actually want but these people are all playing games and I hate to say it I I don't trust almost any politicians no it's hard to and uh what what you're referring to there is when she called out Scott Perry for his yes vote on on gay marriage protection legislation prior to the midterm elections and then a no vote afterwards which seems to be more of catering to his constituents the gang over at Meet the Press was having just a good a time as the people on ABC this week. Let's hear what uh, Meet the Fake Press was getting down with. He can get to 218, do you think? And if he does, how does he get there? He doesn't need 218 to win. Nancy Pelosi did not win with 218 votes. She won with 216 votes. John Bader did not win with 218 votes. He won with 216 votes. But that would require someone to agree to leave the floor and not vote. Um, so whether those are Democrats or whether they, the Freedom Caucus decides, look, I'm going to, after voting against Kevin McCarthy in the first round, I'll, we'll sit it out for the next round and then he'll be speaker. But I think it's an incredibly weak way to start. And it's really a terrible thing to do to your own, your own party when you're starting out. But can he get the votes, you think? In yeah, your I mind? think, oh, I think Kevin McCarthy will be speaker. So, you know, th- that's something, there's so many different angles to gain this. There's not too much of a you know, way outside of 218. I think 216 is the floor, probably the basement, as they suggested there. It's pretty funny. Jim Boehner was a Republican Speaker of the House who was adopted and and now is beloved by Democrats. And, of course, you had Nancy Pelosi, who, according to, you know, I would say even some Republicans up on Capitol Hill, was the greatest Speaker of the House in the history of the galaxy. And they're saying for Kevin McCarthy to use the same route is kind of, like, unceremonious and uh, not a good way to get the year kicked off right congressionally and stuff. So... The double standard was definitely in effect. 
There are some parts of the, um, you know, never McCarthy delegation, besides Gates and Boebert, obviously, uh, Representative Bob Good is one of them as well. I saw him on Fox News yesterday, and he was kind of laying into it. His his narrative would continue throughout the day on many other cable news outlets. I saw him on a couple podcasts. He was on Fox News last night, and then being interviewed before he went into the chamber this morning. Let's kind of hear him giving his last perspective of where he sees this going. First question to you, sir, because you're one of the five. Is there any scenario under which you could support and vote for Kevin McCarthy? No, I won't be voting for Kevin McCarthy tomorrow. Mm. He's part of the problem. He's not mm. part of the solution. I'll be following the will of my constituents, the voters of Virginia's 5th District, who hundreds of which have told me over the past couple of years not to support Kevin McCarthy. What I told them uh, when I started my first term two years ago is I would judge him by what he did as minority leader, and there's nothing he's done to earn my vote. There's nothing that indicates to me that he's going to change his pattern since he's been in leadership where he's part of the swamp cartel. He's the reason uh, on the Republican side while we passed massive omnibus spending bills like just got rammed down our throats by Republicans in the Senate. He was part of that in leadership uh, since he's been in leadership over the past eight years. Uh, there's nothing about Kevin McCarthy that indicates that he will bring the change that's needed to Washington or that's needed to the Congress, or he'll bring the fight, fight against the Biden-Schumer agenda and represent the interests of the voters who sent us to Washington to bring real change. Congressman, you wrote in an op-ed that we must elect a speaker who will pursue a true conservative policy agenda. So if it's not Kevin, who would you vote for? Well, what we'll do is we'll block Kevin. There'll be, uh, I, I suspect, 10 to 15 members who will vote against him on the first ballot tomorrow uh, that will vote for Andy Biggs. Uh, but then I think you'll see on the second ballot uh, an increasing number of members vote for uh, a true uh, candidate who can represent the conservative center of the conference, can motivate the base, inspire Republicans across the country, get country, get to 218 votes, bring our conference together to fight against the uh, radical Democrat agenda, the most extreme so, agenda so, we've so ever wait, seen. Wait, wait, let me stop you there. Who is that name? We, we, here we are in the 11th yeah. hour. There are no names. Give me a name. It's not any bigs. Any bigs isn't going to win. Well, well, I'm going to resist for a few more hours what I have resisted for the last several weeks because, as you know, if we were to put forth a name right now over the last few weeks, weeks, that person would suffer all the attacks and retaliation and all the so, threats. So you don't have a name. I mean, is it, what leader? Absolutely. Griff, you'll see that name tomorrow on the second ballot. Okay, so. Well, you know, I mentioned Steve Scalise. I really don't think that he's the secret name since so many people have been talking about it, including us for the past several weeks. However, we have heard the name Lee Zeldin floated out there. When I just look at it on paper and, and think about the numbers, I don't know if he has a path to 216. 218. I mean, no, what do you think? He's he's been MAGA. He was a little bit more DeSantis over the last over the course of this last election cycle. And uh, you know, he's he's pretty America first. I see him kind of as like somewhere in between the House Freedom Caucus and the establishment that McCarthy is, but is that enough for like the moderates and the rhinos to come on and be like, okay, we'll take him instead? I mean, it's probably the only reason that those guys would take him if he was not completely one side or the other. Yeah. And and I mean it would uh it may factor into making Donald Trump's life in the presidential primary a little bit more difficult due to the fact that, uh, like I said, he is a little bit more DeSantis aligned than, uh, you know, straight MAGA, even though he has received both endorsement and praises from the 45th president before. Last clip before uh, we jump in with our first guest here, I want to play. It's kind of the the big tell that we see from, from within inside the legacy media. This has been a narrative that uh, I, I've seen going down over the course of the last 
week, week and a half. It was really on display yesterday when former Speaker of the House, Newt Gingrich, was on um, Fox News yesterday morning. I thought the clip was good. I grabbed it. They gained seats in 22. He was the singularly most active, best fundraiser, biggest campaigner. I thought at least the House was going to be a sign of stability. And these five guys decided to go out as kamikazes uh, and see if they can't sink the whole Republican Party. And that's what they're doing. This is not about Kevin McCarthy. This is about the right of any five members to basically throw away the entire rest of the conference and tell the rest of the conference it doesn't matter. Why would they do that? them and the conference. Newt, that makes absolutely no. Why would they do it? I think it's a psychological problem. These, these guys can't, they can't count straight. They can't play tic-tac-toe. They can't accept victory. I mean, this is a moment where the Freedom Caucus could claim victory and conservatives could claim victory. You're going to have, given what, what McConnell's been doing in the Senate, McCarthy is the only hope for conservatism in Washington right now. Yes. And to undermine him, mm -hmm. I think, is to undermine conservatism, undermine mm. the Republican Party, and frankly, undermine the country. Well, you know, and I heard on the next show directly following that, they brought Jason Chaffetz, who uh, has been sitting in for the Botox Queen mm. on her show for the last week and a half as she's taken over. It hasn't been very good. No, it hasn't been. <laughs> Better than handy reruns, though. Ooh. Um, and Jason Chaffetz kind of went on a rant, you know, former House member there from Utah saying, like, this is ridiculous, you know. Uh, it's I've said it for years. The Speaker of the House should go to the person that raises the most money. And I was like, What? Like, okay, Fox News and all of your billionaire-backed, never-Trump, pro-DeSantis garbage rhetoric. Like, way to just lay it all out on the table there. What were you going to say, Antoinette? Said that? Jason Chaffetz. Wow, I'm, su I'm surprised. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, we, we've come to learn over the years that those House committees where him and uh, Trey Gowdy would team up and, and kind of lambaste everybody the same way some of our House Freedom Caucus members do now – was a lot of political theater then, a little bit less than it is now. But, uh, yeah, Fox was laying it all out on the table yesterday. I think he was allowed to get away with that, probably because it was in the middle of the day and a lot of people aren't watching. Yeah. But um, <laughs> just when you line it up there, uh, yeah, that's definitely not the way we should get to find a Speaker of the House. And I, I disagree with a lot of Newt Gingrich said there. This is not a win for the House Freedom Caucus. It's, it's a loss for the whole party. I mean, we saw Kevin McCarthy didn't have much of a spine to stand up to to Mitch McConnell in regards to um, the omnibus passing, which I think was probably concerning for a lot of people in the House because the Republican House is going to ask the Senate to, to kind of get in line and, and whip a few Democrats or, or independents now, um, you know, to get some of this uh, America First legislation at least to Joe Biden's desk so he could veto it. But the fact of the matter is it doesn't mean that, uh, you know, we just want somebody to be able to uh, figuratively claim victory. We want to actually start winning in some context and we haven't done that in a long time i would love to win we start now yeah when people start going out there on the news and saying i'm I mean, not we're three days into the new year can we win now a little bit and say they're not tired of winning i'm like where have we won yeah where have we won in the last two years we've spent over 10 trillion dollars in wasteful spending we've allowed for another possibly 10 trillion more to be on the table we're up to 47 and a half border wall sent over to ukraine worth of cash funding aid and whatever um, and that's not even including the Patriot missile battery systems that they're getting as well. Mm. And, uh, you know, listen, you've got every reliable news source from Steve Cortez and Unusual Well saying that if we're not in a recession already, we're going to be there quick. Putin enacted his uh, G7, G20, and NATO-allied oil 
uh, embargo now to start the year, and it's going to run through May. Gas prices are already starting to spike here in Southern California. Food is getting ridiculous again with the supply chain. If you can find it, it's triple the price as it was two years ago and only going up. Still no diapers, still no baby formula. We're running out of kids' cold medicine everywhere. And, oh, man. Mm. Yeah. I, I couldn't buy eggs uh, this past weekend. They were sold out everywhere. Yeah, we, went yeah. To, we found ours at the third store. And my wife was telling me yesterday, it was so destroyed in the section where there was eggs, she had to get four cartons and uh, and <laughs> and put them together just to make two to be able to buy. So uh, we're going to be keeping track of this. The the They're in the chamber right now. Everyone's been sworn in. Everyone's been voted present, not present, or whatever. They're moving on to the uh, Speaker of the House vote. We'll keep an eye on it over the course of the uh, show right now. We're going to switch gears a little bit. We're going to jump into... Uh, talking about some of the new tech policies and uh, forecasting things in that department right now with one of our great friends. All right, coming in here on Steak for Breakfast, he is a tech policy expert, as I like to call him, working at the Heritage Foundation, one of my favorite Fox News contributors. I do like him a little bit more when he contributes on Steak for Breakfast. Mr. Jake Denton, welcome back. Happy New Year. Hey, thanks for having me. Happy New Year. Oh, it's our pleasure. How's everything going with you? Did you have a good uh, Christmas break and uh, New Year's ringing in? Yeah, absolutely. Things are great. Just got back into D.C. and, uh, you know, enjoying the swamp. We got a new session of Congress, so things are getting getting hot again. Should be fun. Yeah, at least there's no big stories coming out of Capitol Hill today when we've gotten you on mm-hmm. the show or anything yeah. like that. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> oh, man, what a disaster going on down there. <laughs> so, yeah, it's been... Uh, pretty spicy to say the least but uh we're gonna we're gonna jump into some of this this tech stuff that's going on heading into the new year we we have seen a lot of things going on last time you're on we talked about obviously bankman freed getting released from jail he got to spend the holidays but I, I did see some movement with him over that and then you know some of the stuff that's coming up on the horizon you, you sent me that article yesterday i thought it was a good read watched a couple of the videos about the five big tech stories to be checking out heading into uh 2023 so let's jump right into it what do you got on the top of your slate Yeah. So, I mean, the Twitter files are obviously still at the forefront of everyone's attention. Uh, You know, the TikTok ban, will it be a U.S. sale? Will it be an outright ban? Are we going to get nothing? You know, is it going to remain just up to the states to handle this? Um, Those are kind of the two main things heading into the new year here um, that we're still trying to tackle. Um, I think it's on the the forefront of Congress's mind right now. They want an early victory. um, So it's just a matter of what that looks like. Now, I heard you mention the TikTok. So w- one of the things that you were able to clarify me when we, when we obviously talk offline is that uh, just selling TikTok to, let's just say, a U.S. entity, that doesn't solve all of the problems or relieve all of the concerns that a lot of people have with it. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. I mean, it really forces us to take TikTok's uh, statements at face value. We have to trust them in order for the U.S. sale to actually be a viable solution, which we shouldn't, right? So, I mean... Every single path we've taken with them, they've burnt us, uh, whether it be the keystroke logging, whether it be the geolocation tracking when they said they weren't doing it. Every single time we took them at their word, they burnt us. And we just can't continue down this path. I mean, what the U.S. sale really does is just change the location where they store the data, mm-hmm. but it doesn't change any of the bad practices. They'll still be logging our geolocation. They'll still be taking all these other forms of very valuable data, and then they're just storing them somewhere else. So we're still just as at risk. Uh, if they can still compromise the data. And I don't really think we should just believe that there's not going to be a backdoor or, you know, they aren't going to have any access to the data because, I mean, they've just proven to be untrustworthy. No, you make some great points there. And I think you mentioned the Twitter files, which I want to segue to next. And, uh, you know, 
we've heard so many times these tech companies and everyone that's interfused with them, whether it be former government officials, whether it be the actual things like the FBI or DHS and the CDC, we swear we're not doing it. We're being as transparent as possible. And then let's just say at Twitter, a new owner comes in like Elon Musk does. He buys the platform. Then all of a sudden you see not only was it still going on, it was probably worse than anybody could have speculated. We do have the Fauci files coming down the pike this week. In addition to a lot of the other stuff we've seen come out over the last couple of weeks, what what are you forecasting in regards to the Twitter files? And uh, what do you think about as far as uh, Elon Musk getting out of there as the CEO? What, what do you think a timetable for him would be? Yeah, so in terms of the Twitter files, I think we're just kind of going to see more of the same, really. It's going to be government collusion with the Twitter content moderation team. Uh, you know, there were quite a few uh, little blurps in the most recent files that showed that, you know, the White House and other federal agencies were really trying to shape the way Twitter crafted their content moderation. Uh, you know, whether that be making specific asks for accounts to go down or specific posts to go down, or really just altering kind of the foundations of that policy, right? Just making new rules, uh, which is kind of, you know, to normal people, we think that to be unfounded, right? Like no one's doing this. But uh, I mean, ultimately, what it's revealing is a bit of a coordinated project or effort uh, on behalf of the government to kind of go into Silicon Valley and make it a tool of control. And, uh, you know, I think the most concerning one that we kind of bounced right over was the uh, PSYOP release of the Twitter files yeah. where, you know, we were actually conducting operations that were meant to shape the opinions of people. And uh, while it was maybe intended to be uh, towards international audiences, the internet doesn't exist within a silo, right? Like China might be siloed off, but the rest of us are all kind of intermingled together. Um, and when a story is kind of propagated to an international audience, it almost inevitably ends up back in US consumption. Um, and so ultimately, ordinary Americans get deceived by the same information that maybe uh, an Iranian uh, using Twitter gets or, you know, someone in the Middle East. So, uh, I mean, that's just a huge problem. And the fact Fauci files, I think, will just reveal that um, just across the board, this was a very coordinated, calculated effort. This wasn't just a um, a random incident where uh, some rogue employees went off the path. I think this was really became the purpose of the company. Um, and in terms of Elon exiting, uh, it kind of came as a shock when he did that Twitter poll. Yeah. I think a lot of people were were shooken up by that because we've come to love Elon as the head of Twitter. Um, but we knew this was going to happen. I mean, he wasn't going to stay as the, the head of this company for long. Um, when someone emerges as a viable candidate for that role, I think he will step down. Um, I think the front runners right now probably should be considered as, you know, maybe a Blake Masters or a David Sachs, um, maybe Mike Solana. Um, but I mean, there really isn't a long list of viable options, unfortunately, right? I mean, that's the reason we ended up here. And so it's important that he doesn't burn all this progress. So he has to make the right pick. I think he's watched kind of Trump's uh, kind of trials and tribulations with, you know, staffing the White House. And, yeah. you know, he sees the potential for personnel to take you down the wrong path. And I don't think he makes the same uh, kind of mistake. I think he really does vet them to the fullest extent and put in someone he can count on. Yeah, I, I agree with you. you said that. A lot of the times Donald Trump ran into, uh, you know, roadblocks in regards to his hires. It was always like he had brought in someone from either the outside or who came in as like a wrecking ball. And then they would exit and everybody around him who was more of like the D.C. establishment type would come in and be like, OK, that didn't work. Let's bring in. They're not the most establishment people, but what they do is they've been here. It's going to bring normalcy. It's going to bring, like, calmness. And then we would just see, like, all of a sudden leaks to the Washington Post and the yep. New York Times and all of these, uh, you know, sources close to the president would be coming out. You don't want the same stuff going on at Twitter. I know Elon Musk keeps his, like, uh, 
his governing boards of his other companies, SpaceX and, and Tesla, relatively small. Plus, he's also been like historically a pretty big micromanager. He's very hands-on. So I agree with you with the fact that a couple of those names you mentioned definitely uh, sound like viable options. I, I still think at the end of the day, even if we got like our perfect pick, who would be like a Blake Masters, I don't even know if he'd be as good as Elon Musk because I don't know if he's as base as Elon Musk when it comes to like <laughs> tweeting. He's gotten probably pretty good at it. But the fact of the matter is we want integrity at these platforms, and, and that's what we're going to see. Speaking of which, one of the things I want to talk to you about, I see Mark Zuckerberg's name in Meta popping up here and there. You know, there's all the stuff with the with the metaverse and and, and all of this things that are going on with them. In addition, there's going to be a looming uh, indi- indicator that a lot of these tech CEOs, Microsoft, Google, probably Mark Zuckerberg himself, and even Elon Musk, probably the ones who were there before him, are going to at some point be up on Capitol Hill this year. After the big layoffs and, and failure of performance at places like Meta, do you see them making any kind of a comeback? Where are they kind of going from here? And, and what does congressional inquiries into these tech companies mean for, like, let's just say their stocks and stuff like that? Yeah, I mean, everyone is wanting to see these corporate CEOs make an appearance on Capitol Hill following the release of the Twitter files, right? Because obviously stuff like this exists throughout these companies. Um, but, you know, we have to have them in front of Congress because, you know, another billionaire isn't lining up to buy Facebook right now. And so, you know, Facebook's in a weird spot and kind of, as you mentioned too, um, which puts them in a position for kind of extra malfeasance, right? Mm. When you're so distracted with kind of building the metaverse from the ground up and, you know, they've gone through a huge shareholder uh, kind of devaluation, um, you know, the, it's just not the same company anymore. Um, and that opens the window to kind of just chaos internally, um, you know, whether that be layoffs or just kind of rogue operations, such as, you know, what we see with the Twitter files. Um, these are all things that we need to get, you know, Congress essentially to provide us with insight to. Um, and, you know, in terms of, you know, as you mentioned, where Meta goes from here, um, it's tough to say. They really have gambled uh, entirely on the construction of the metaverse. And I think, you know, Microsoft and Google have made it pretty clear that they want to get into that space as well. Um, there is not a viable product right now. Uh, no. no consumer really wants to step into the metaverse other than just to basically see what it's about. No one's using it on a daily basis. Um, and so where does it go from here? I think that's kind of what 2023 will tell us. Um, if someone's able to, by the end of this year, kind of make a consumer ready product, maybe it turns into something. Otherwise, I think this is just another, you know, kick the ball down the road and uh, Meta probably continues to get hit um, until they're able to produce something. Speaking of kicking the ball down the road congressionally, now I think we're all in agreement here. We don't want the government running our social media platforms. Obviously, we've come to learn that they've ran it a little bit more than we could have ever imagined over the course of the last couple of months with uh, all the stuff that's come out of Twitter. But as far as investigating and providing oversight and maybe setting kind of new regulations in, in the tech community, Donald Trump's teased some of them when, when he's talked about his 2024 campaign platforms. One of the things he mentioned was like, when people are separating from federal, there needs to be some kind of cooling off period. You can't just retire, step down, or be fired, and then like a week later, you're like the highest paid lawyer at, let's just say, Twitter, like, you know, Jim Baker was. And uh, do you think that Congress really needs to to shed light on, on what is really going on within big tech so at the same time we can kind of set up some kind of regulations, at least to like live in between, so these companies can continue to grow as independent en- entities, but at the same time not be doing all the bad stuff to, you know, its users that's been going on for who knows how long. Yeah, I think we've really neglected the tech sector. We've kind of let them operate on their own. We had the dot-com bubble burst, and then everyone was just so worried we'd kill innovation in that world that we just kind of turned a blind eye. And, you know, now with the Twitter files and these kind of other big uh, maybe antitrust filings, things of that nature, we're seeing 
how bad it's gotten uh, as a result of us looking the other direction. Um, and so, you know, where it goes from here, I think, uh, you know, the American people probably have a little bit of congressional hearing fatigue. Yeah. You know, we continue to bring them up. They lie to us and then they go back to Silicon Valley and nothing changes. Um, and then we just repeat the process every Congress. Uh, there are new promises and you know, we never end up really getting anything. Um, and so I think we need some decisive action here. I think someone needs to really step, up, uh, step forward, uh, show themselves as a leader, uh, you know, kind of grim outlook when you look at the merger filing fee modernization act which we've talked about that vote it was it revealed where the gop kind of stands in terms of the coalition right like I mean, there really is isn't a big anti-tech coalition um we're forced to kind of make do with what we have which means a lot of compromises with the left um and you know that's not going to really amount to the goals that you know we as conservatives have for the internet we're never going to get an internet that's in service of the people for the people um, when it, you know, we're having to compromise on every single bill with the left, we're going to always have, you know, the internet as a tool of control. And then maybe we get a couple of carve outs for freedom of speech, but it's never really anything with conservative foundations or fundamentals like we deserve. Um, and so, I mean, 2023 is the year where we can maybe get back on track, uh, maybe really get a good coalition here. Um, you know, I think there's no longer an excuse for people to align on the other side of big tech. Uh, you know, we've seen now several cycles where they go back and fundraise off the the notion that they'll take down big tech and then they don't do it. So, I mean, we have to hold them accountable. You know, American people <laughs> really deserve some level of, uh, you know, big tech accountability. And um, it's time to give it to them. Yeah, it certainly is. I think we're long past that point. And, and you know, you make an excellent one there. It's a. Uh... We, we have been pointing out, especially a lot more often than not, we, we saw the omnibus pill pass last week, and, and it was just like, you know, so many people came out and had really great talking points on why it shouldn't pass, but then when you see the work that should be going on behind the scene is like whipping other people to get in on board with you and do things that are going to support the American people. I think when you talk about things like big tech, their platforms and applications and stuff like that, it's kind of the same deal. Like I love what Josh Hawley has done. People like Ron Johnson and Rand Paul, you know, Ted Cruz, they've all come out. A lot of people in the house freedom caucus have come out and talked about the concerns they have with like the internet search engines, Twitter before Elon Musk and things like TikTok. But what do we really do to getting, you know, to some compromising, uh, past those hard conversations right now that are going to allow us to get to some uh, viable solutions in the future. Jake, this has been awesome sitting down with you today. We're going to have you back a little bit towards the end of the month, and uh, we'll be looking forward to it as always. In addition to uh, Live Link and the Heritage Foundation in the show description today, where can everybody follow you on social media? Yeah, on Twitter at Real J Denton, and then on Truth Social at Jake Denton. Uh, I'll be posting, you know, all of the FTX things, new Congress updates, things of that nature. So feel free to come check it out and, uh, you know, shoot me a DM if you ever have any questions or, um, you know, on insights. I'm always happy to, to answer questions as well. That's the truth. And, and, and for all of our listenership who aren't as professional as Jake Denton, he did basically tease his next platform for the next time he's on the show. Mm. This is one of our favorite tech policy experts working at the Heritage Foundation, Mr. Jake Denton. Thanks for coming back on. Absolutely. Have a good one. Take care. Uh, this is an incredible, unprecedented crisis, and so the GOP has to act. Um, I have legislation that's sitting in the hopper. Um, we'll re reintroduce it. Uh, many of my colleagues do as well. And those things, those pieces of legislation do everything from take care of the Flores problem uh, to uh, actually reinvigorating building the wall and, and additional resources for Border Patrol. The question will be, because I think it'll pass out of the House, is what will happen in the Senate? And will the Biden administration 
um, veto it. And right now, the Biden administration is fighting us tooth and nail. We did lose some of our leverage point last week when the omnibus passed because that was going to be our leverage to enforce the border um, through the budget process, and they've taken that away. So we do have some additional but must-pass legislation, which will be leverage points coming forward, and that's what we're going to have to use to leverage implementation of policy. Because the law's there, um, you know, whether it's Title Eight and for, for a while Title 42, mm -hmm. which shouldn't be viewed as a panacea, but we have the laws in place to actually slow this thing down and bring it under manageable control. Mm. That was Arizona Congressman Andy Bakes. I think he was referring to Section 8, but also talking about Title 42, which has stayed for the moment, thanks to the Supreme Court. We do have some updates on the speaker race. It looks like for the first time since 1923, we have not elected a Speaker of the House in the first roll call votes. I did see uh, a lot of developing news items regarding that. We saw a couple votes for Jim Banks, who has not been nominated to this point in as far as I know, doesn't want it. Also, Jim Jordan, who really doesn't want it, received several votes from a delegation out of Texas and uh, people like Anna Paulina Luna. Um, to say that Matt Gates is probably sitting back in his chair with the deal with it glasses on right now <laughs> is, is nothing short of uh, probably what the truth is as congressional chaos kicks off the new year for Republicans, which I'll be honest with you guys. Isn't it a lot better than in action and just going with the flow? Mm. No? Oh, oh, scissor me timbers. I'm pretty sure that's the last thing Kevin McCarthy wants to hear right now. But Andy Biggs was talking about the crisis on the U.S. southern border. And even though there's been so much stuff going on, whether it be the uh, traumatic injury that was suffered on Monday Night Football last night, we have uh, Sam Bank Bankman Freed uh, entering a courtroom for the first time today uh, since he was brought to the United States. Um, we've got Joe Biden making a trip out to Kentucky. That's going to be part of our next news segment, which is definitely breaking news. And uh, all the other stuff that's going on, you, they just want you to forget about the U.S. southern border. Mm -hmm. And uh, it, it's continuing to be out of control. I, I do like some of the stuff that Congressman Biggs mentioned there. Listen, the power of the purse. Okay, let, let's talk about this. So, Noah, do you think holding up funds for DHS moving forward would be enough to get Alejandro Mayorkas to do something different? Or do you think like he could care less if, if the government, at least elements of the government, let's just say DHS gets shut down due to funding being held up? Well, he's got to know he's on his way out. So regardless of what happens, it probably doesn't matter for him. But at the same time, holding up the funding would probably be the only thing that would motivate people in and around his orbit to do something. I like what you did there. Antoinette, do you think Alejandro Mayorkas survives the next two years as the... Uh, head of DHS, or do you think whether it be for impeachment or if he steps down due to the overwhelming pressure he's going to at least incur from the new House Republicans, it makes it too unbearable for him to hold the spot? I think that, I think he may be out before two years. I'm not quite sure he could last that long. It would be, uh, he'd, uh, he'd step down. Yeah. Might, you know, but, um, what Noah said, I agree with him too. I think funding, you know, uh, not funding them as much anymore might be the only avenue we have or tool. Oh, you, you make a good point. And, and it's usually when you talk about, not like the FBI and the CIA, but when it's more of these other federal law enforcement agencies, I guess now the IRS, DHS, faucet to the DNI, you do see a pretty big carousel of uh, managers going through. So 
I saw Congressman, I believe also from Arizona, Debbie Lesko was on Fox News yesterday, and she was talking about getting sworn in in the 118th Congress and, uh, you know, some of the stuff that they need to do, which is focused on working on the border right out the bat. Let's hear her. The 118th U.S. Congress will be sworn in on Tuesday, and the border is top priority for the new House Republican majority. Arizona Republican Debbie Lesko joins us now with more on that and other items on her party's legislative agenda. We had your Republican uh, colleague Kat Kamek of Florida on last night. I want to start with the same question that I asked her. If the administration, which is supposed to be enforcing the laws that you and the Congress pass, if the administration will not enforce the law at the border, what do you, as a member of Congress or as a, a congressional majority, what can you do? Well, Happy New Year. Um, (laughs) Republicans already have a bunch of legislation ready to go to introduce. I have legislation myself that would reinstate the Remain in Mexico policy. So when all of these people come up and claim asylum, they'd have to stay in Mexico or another safe country before they are let into the United States. We also have legislation that would require Uh, that illegal immigrants be turned back at the border if there's not enough space to detain them as required by the law. And of course, I'm one of those people that's supportive of starting impeachment proceedings against uh, DHS Secretary Mayorkas if he doesn't do his job. But if you do, um, say, try to reintroduce the Remain in Mexico policy, you know It has to get signed by the president, does it not? Uh, He he doesn't seem inclined to do anything that his predecessor approved of. Well, the public put Republicans in the majority, and so we're going to introduce this legislation. We'll see what the Senate does and what the president does. It puts them in a spot, and uh, so he needs to start solving this crisis at our border. I'm in Arizona. It's a border state. It's a total catastrophe. I talked to the people on the ground multiple times. I visited the border. It's an absolute mess. It's a humanitarian mess for the illegal immigrants that are coming here. Uh, Girls are getting raped. Um, Girls are being sold into sex slavery. Mm. I talked to the inspector general of DHS. They said they're not properly vetting where these kids are going all throughout the United States. They don't know where people are going through the United States. This is a mess. It needs to be fixed, and Republicans are set to do it. What about uh, the economy in this country? It's it's teetering. You know, a lot of people have floated uh, Debbie Lesko as an outside candidate early horse in the race for the uh, 2024 Senate seat that's going to be up there. That's going to be Kristen Sinema's seat, independent now registered out of Arizona. I don't not like her. She's actually pretty tough. She's, she's in the know. She's been up on Capitol Hill long enough to... Uh, have some congressional counterparts and some of those other federal agencies that she's uh, working with. Obviously, she talked to people within DHS, the Inspector General, to get some receipts to talk about on the news, things that we hear commonly. But, you know, she's telling you where she's hearing this information from. I wouldn't mind her getting in the race. Mm. Uh, it was funny. Katie Hobbs was sworn in yesterday as uh, the governor of Arizona laughed through her swearing-in process, which I thought was just about as big a joke as the election one was there. And I sent Noah and Antoinette a tweet last night that showed as early as day one they had federal contractors down there removing the container walls in the Tucson sector that were put up under the last governor, which uh, was funneling the migrants away from 
more of the dangerous parts and into uh, more of the acceptable parts, I guess, to be uh, welcome to the United States and, and, yeah, I and mean, given their benefits package. W- what's the benefit of taking this stuff down? So now you're going to have more people either getting in or more people dying in the river? That's a good point. I mean, wasn't it the humane thing to do to try to divert the people away to the safer zones anyway? Not like we're turning them away. What's the difference? Yeah. Oh, that's right. They just don't want apprehensions on apprehensions record. Apprehensions on record. And we want to remind everybody as we wait for the December numbers, the November ones, the over 233,000 official apprehensions were the greatest of all time, as were last year's total numbers, which uh, eclipsed 2.57 million. Um, you know, it's uh, it's funny. Did you guys see that video that had come out over the last couple of days? I believe a, a component of the Border Patrol released it where there was like a high-speed chase, and then there was like a Border Patrol checkpoint. They had blocked off the road in the car with people in the trunk, essentially crashed into the Border Patrol checkpoint, went off the road flying. Is that and- the one where they killed one of the Border Patrol guys? No, it was a different one. Oh, um, there was one where somebody got killed too. Yeah. Yeah, so this was uh, the, the people actually in the checkpoint were recording the car coming down the street, and when it went off the road, I just quoted the tweet and reshared it, and I said, for all of those that aren't sure, there are people in the trunk, and the car was going ridiculously fast and probably flew about 100 feet through the air before it came to a crashing stop, but it looked like everybody was getting out and getting detained. I, I want to say normally, but not really, um, and that's kind of the you know, reality that we're living in regarding this. I saw uh, Joe Concha. He was on Fox News giving some commentary about the border. He's been one of the few studio-based commentators who kind of hit on the border pretty hard because, you know, whether it's affected his personal life in some way or he grew up or, you know, resided in some kind of a town that's adjacent to the border and experienced some of the stuff like they're experiencing in places like El Paso right now where, you know, the airport's become essentially a homeless shelter, not just for the people whose flights have been canceled over the holiday weekend, but for all of the migrants who have nowhere to go, talking about how the rest of the mainstream media is complacent and not talking about it. The biggest story, honestly, what was the downplaying of the border crisis? Uh, It's the most egregious example of journalistic malfeasance. I mean, five million people coming into this country in the first two years of this administration, nearly 900 migrants dying trying to cross over into U.S. soil. A record number of suicides by Border Patrol agents whose morale is shot. And then fentanyl pouring into this country from China through Mexico, killing an average of, what, 300 Americans per day due to overdoses? And it's silence of the lambs from most of the media, ABC, mm. CBS, NBC, CNN, PBS, NPR, The Times, and The Post on what was the biggest story of the year, what's happening at the U.S. border, and the impact it's having on this country. Yeah, and there's our video clip for the end of the show. Ooh. You can get to work on that, Noah. But but he's right. The, the, the mainstream media is complicit. I did see some of the Sunday morning news talk circuit kind of like weighing the options. Uh, and, and the way that, that like, Meet the fake press and ABC this fake week and CNN State of the Fake Union. We're all kind of spinning it. And this is like the absolute most despicable of the worst. Their commentators were were literally like, so now that there's a Republican-controlled House of Representatives and they're just going to keep talking about the U.S. southern border, at some point do you see Joe Biden and Kamala Harris going down there to address whatever kind of situation they have on the ground? And it's like, the numbers don't lie. Well, the the numbers that DHS is putting out are probably lies, but the video evidence that's all over the news doesn't lie. And and the way they're going to spin it now is that 
Republicans are essentially going to complain about the border until either Joe Biden goes down there to do like a celebrity appearance or Alejandro Mayorkas at DHS does something about it. That's awful. And uh, it doesn't really work towards solving any of the problems. What do you guys think? I just want the problems solved and I want them solved now. I don't want any more problems. Now, now or like now, now, like yesterday, now, like last year, now. What am I watching now? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, this is then when just now. Son of a bitch. Well, if there's one thing that's for sure, I know that I'm surrounded by assholes. Yes. <laughs> I did. Asshole. S- Thank you. It's been a while. I did see former Border Patrol chief, one of the better ones who served under the Trump administration, uh, Rodney Scott. He was on Real America's Voice yesterday. He did a pretty good piece talking about it's one thing we mentioned. Can we start electing that guy? Yes. I, I would love to have him back. And he and he was beloved by the workforce from yeah. from. All indicators under the well, most of the people who served. You, you don't think Tom Homan was beloved at ICE, and uh, you know people like former Commissioner Wolf over at CBP didn't do a better than average job when he had people like Christina Bob working under him. Yeah, border was a little bit more safer and secure. I tell you that much. Not like the elections, but it, mm. it was a different kind of safe and secure. Too soon. I did hear in our last clip, Joe Concha kind of mention one of the things that. Very few places talk about it. It's always talked about on the show, the the rising number of suicides and deaths within, you know, components of federal agencies like the Border Patrol, those tasked with protecting our and securing our nation's border. And, uh, you know, to hear someone who's been in a former, I guess, executive position like chief of the entire patrol, like uh, Rodney Scott was, kind of get into it, it's only places like this that you're going to hear it otherwise. So I definitely thought it deserved to uh, make the rounds today. Let's hear them. Morale is, is tanked out. These men and women stepped up. They went through a ton of training um, to protect America. It's all about the mission. When they have to tell their families, I'm sorry, I can't be here Christmas morning because I have to work or, mm. or for a birthday or a soccer game or whatever the event is, Everybody kind of understands, you know, hey, they're, they're, it's a greater cause. They're protecting America. They're protecting our borders. But now today with the Biden administration, the way that they've set up the policies, they really feel like, I hear it over and over again, they feel like they're the final uh, stage in the smuggling, that literally they're just processing people and releasing them. But almost more important than that, they fundamentally know while they're stuck in that station processing, They've left hundreds of miles of border completely undefended, and the cartel is exploiting that, bringing across criminals, terrorists. They're bringing across narcotics, killing Americans, and it's really devastated the morale of the agents out there. It certainly has, and it's something that, even if it's in very few places spoken about, we'll continue to speak about on, on a at least biweekly basis right now. But yes, the U.S. southern border is still wide open, uh, regardless of what anybody up on Capitol Hill is saying. We are hopeful that at some point they can elect a new Speaker of the House. Um, we can start getting to some comparable solutions to at least addressing a lot of the problems that we're having down there right now. And we're going to continue to speak about that a little bit more as we're getting ready to bring in our next guest. Well, sometimes we have to do jobs that we don't really want to do. And sometimes we have to do jobs that we are called to do. And so, my colleagues, I rise to nominate the most talented, hardest working member of the Republican conference who just gave a speech with more vision than we have ever heard from the alternative, I'm nominating Jim Jordan. Jim Jordan is humble, perhaps today, humble to a fault, maybe the right person for the job of Speaker of the House, 
isn't someone who wants it so bad. Maybe the right person for the job of Speaker of the House isn't someone who has sold shares of themselves for more than a decade to get it. Maybe Jim Jordan is the right person for Speaker of the House because he is not beholden to the lobbyists and special interests who have corrupted this place and corrupted this nation under the leadership of both Republicans and Democrats. Maybe Jim Jordan would be the right person for Speaker of the House because he wouldn't fight us when we try to get a term limits bill on the floor. Maybe Jim Jordan would be the right person because he wouldn't fight us when we try to put a balanced budget on the floor and vote for it. And maybe Jim Jordan is the right person because he would endorse the plan that was built by the Texas delegation to finally secure our border. Mr. Jordan said in his nomination that there are certain bills that we have to pass to fix the problem. The challenge is the alternative has been someone voting for the very bills that have caused these problems. Mm. Mr. Jordan says that we cannot accept legislation like the omnibus, and I fully agree. And if Jim Jordan were Speaker of the House, if he were the leader of the Republican team, we wouldn't have that circumstance choking the economy of our country, increasing inflation, and diminishing the prospects of a better life for our fellow Americans. And finally, Mr. Jordan said we must engage in rigorous oversight. Every one of my Republican colleagues knows that the person who can lead that oversight effort, who works on it every day, who has the skill and the talent and the will, is Jim Jordan. I'm nominating him, and I'm voting for him. Well, that's the current... Uh state of the nation on the Republican House floor right now as Kevin McCarthy has failed in a second vote to secure the Speaker of the House. That was Congressman Matt Gates from Florida nominating Jim Jordan. The last vote had 19 people vote against Kevin McCarthy. So the delegation that started out spreading it across a few candidates now, it seems to be growing a little bit. We're going to continue to talk about this and, and, and a bunch of other things, and we're going to bring in one of our great friends, someone who's had a little bit of experience up on Capitol Hill, namely in the White House and working with the 45th President of the United States, Mr. Theo Wold. Thanks for joining us back on the show. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me back on. Really, really appreciate it. Well, it's our pleasure. I hope you had a great Christmas season. Hope uh, you had a very good New Year. We've got some uh, big news to talk about today. How's everything going with you first off, though? <laughs> Everything's great. So we, we had a... Uh, a white Christmas here in Idaho, which is always a plus when you are in a household with small children. And then we added to our, our ranks here in our infantry unit, we added a fourth baby on the 23rd. So my, my wife, um, who's a big fan of Michael Landon and the Little House on the Prairie series, uh, gave birth at home. And this is the second one she's birthed at home. And um, everything's going great. And the great news is... Um, Three little girls are over the moon to have a little baby brother. So um, we're, we're pretty pretty excited about that. Well, so it's con- been a great Christmas and, and a great New Year. Yeah, absolutely. Sounds like it. A big uh, steak for breakfast. Congratulations to you and yours. And, uh, man, th- now I feel like just a complete a-hole. I'm here texting you, emailing you, trying to get you on the show because we love when you come on and provide us with that top-tier commentary. And there's you having home births. How selfish of this. <laughs> No, no, it's it's all uh, it's all good um, because you know just like last time in the middle of uh, of labor, my wife is asking me about this very thing that you led this segment in with. It, you know, does McCarthy have the votes, and what's it going to look like if he falls short? So, 
this is the topic of conversation in our house, whether we're uh, welcoming a new baby or just a, a normal day. So uh, all good. That's pretty awesome to say the least. Theo, I know you've probably tracked a lot of stuff that's going on up on Capitol Hill. Uh, the 118th Congress has been sworn in. We've made it through two votes for Speaker of the House, have not gotten a Republican one yet. What are some of the things that you're seeing, how this is kind of developing? And, and just, uh, you know, playing a little armchair quarterback now, what, what, what do you think is a viable solution here in regards to uh, figuring out who's going to be the Speaker of the House? Apparently it wasn't making concessions because we've heard that Kevin McCarthy's made just about all of them. And now that we're on the floor, it seems like like a lot of these old wounds have been rehashed open and you're seeing a lot more people than just the, you know, teased four or five kind of jump on right now to say, you know what, we, we've got to, this country is in such a uh, condition right now that we really need to do something different. And, and it looks like we might eventually get there. But what do you think? Yeah, I think that last part of what you just said is the most important, which is this is the persistent um, misapprehension that the legacy media the, obviously the left, but a lot of the uh, establishment Republicans don't understand about conservatives or the national populist movement, which is principles don't modify just because circumstances change. Um, and you'll, you'll see this repeated again and again, right? The left will say something like, well, you know, if they do this, uh, there's a real possibility a, a moderate could be elected speaker. So why don't they just get in line? What, I mean, what what could be such a big deal that they, they can't set it aside and just vote for McCarthy for speaker? And, I, and so I think, you know, um, regardless of, on how someone feels about the vote that's happening today, it, it is a sign of sort of the health of, of the conservative movement, that there are individuals who are willing to stick to a principle uh, and argue for it in the public square, even if it will ultimately cause some heartburn. Um, so I, I think that's a like big picture I think, you know, secondly, I think there's a, an open question as to whether or not um, some of the leaders in the party have misread the timing of, of, of this speaker vote. And, and what I mean there is just it seemed like the concessions came a little late. And it seems like, uh, you know, the, the inability to predict how rocky of a road this would be. I mean, we were told for the last four or five months that it would be five votes. Um, six votes, you might have a certain rump portion of the House Freedom Caucus who would hold out. And then post the November midterms, it was like, yeah, it looks like it's just four, three or four guys top. Um, 19 is a, is a much bigger, it's a much bigger deal. So that's a different number. And that's much more indicative of, you know, the House Caucus being dissatisfied with continuing on the same trajectory that we've been on for the last couple of years. And whether that's Speaker, uh, or sorry, Representative McCarthy's fault, um, or whether it's just the unfortunate circumstance of falling in line behind Paul Ryan, I, I you know, that's that's the difficulty of how the cookie crumbles sometimes. No, you make some excellent points there, and I think the biggest one is is some of the, the developments we've seen over the past couple of weeks. Obviously, I think a big litmus test for, for some of the House Freedom Caucus members and, and more of the... Uh, you know, uh, populist Republicans in the House was going to be the omnibus bill. We saw major failures within both the House and Senate to get that thing passed when a CR would have just put it in their laps for today. It might have, you know, given McCarthy some bonus points and, and brought those no votes down. In addition, it, it's something that we've been talking about for years on this show, but has really risen back to the forefront right now. We're getting ready to see 
uh, a joint event tomorrow over on the Kentucky-Ohio border with Joe Biden and Mitch McConnell. Now, Mitch McConnell has allowed Joe Biden to pass bill after bill throughout the course of his presidency with very little pushback. Uh, we, uh, we have teased on this show, and, and I really feel strongly that this continuing relationship that Mitch McConnell and Joe Biden have developed throughout the course of their Senate relationship and now with Joe Biden as the president is, is walking down the path towards a huge Biden amnesty bill during the last two years of his presidency and, and probably rolling into another presidential election campaign. How big of a problem do you think this is moving forward? I mean, we blame Mitch McConnell for at least two Senate seats in the midterm elections, in addition to the ongoing feud he's having with Donald Trump, uh, both behind the scenes and very publicly when you talk about some of the 45th president's true social posts. We read one on the show today as well. Uh, his New Year's one. And, and and the fact of the matter is of, of that who's ever in the Speaker of the House, in addition to all the stuff that's going on in this country with like inflation and trade, the economy, we're either right at the threshold of a recession or moving into one or already in one. In addition to that, we talk about the U.S. southern border, the rise of crime and all the other things that are going on. Now we have to deal with not ha- have might as well have, you know, you have a slim Democrat majority in the Senate, but it might as well just be Democrats across the board if Mitch McConnell's bringing anywhere between 15 and, and, and 18 senators within the table every time Joe Biden puts something up to get passed. Yeah. So on that last piece, um, I think the important thing for, for your listeners to remember is that Mitch McConnell owns a good half of the Republican conference in the Senate. And when I say own, I mean, you know, he raised the money for their seat. He recruited these candidates to run statewide. He handles their communications. He doles out the consultants, um, and he troubleshoots the emergencies that crop up either when they're in D.C. or when they're on the campaign trail. So a senator like Mike Rounds in South Dakota, you know, South Dakota may have trended significantly red over the last 10 years after having elected statewide Democrats for, you know, a good 20, 30 years consistently. But Mike Rounds is really no different than than Tim Johnson or Stephanie Herseth, Sandlin, any of the Democrats that South Dakota elected for years. There's, there's no difference. Ask them their opinion on amnesty. Ask them their opinion on fast-track trading authority for China or any of our other geopolitical rivals. You get the same answer. Um, so I think you know it comes as a surprise sometimes to people. Holy cow! They got 11, 12 senators to to vote for you know um, approving uh, statutorily approving homosexual marriage, or they got you know. Um, 10 or 12 that are lined up to, to work with Manchin and Cinema on an, an immigration amnesty. Yeah, I mean, honestly, there's a part of it where I'm not surprised. I'm surprised there's not more. Um, so that's the first piece. The second piece is, look, a lot of conservatives bought the, what I always thought was a junk line about McConnell, the folk hero, because of, you know, quote, hashtag judges, yeah. unquote, right? Judges, judges, judges. And, you know, as much as there may have been some victories, uh, keeping the Scalia seat open, uh, fast-track uh, approval for Barrett at the, at the very end, um, I've long said people are going to be surprised when some of these nominees don't turn out the way that, that people thought they would be. But more importantly, you've conditioned, you know, members of the Senate, their staff, and a lot of movement conservatives or, or populists uh, to ignore that the, the real job of the Senate isn't to do nominations and, and, and appointments. I mean, that's HR work. Right. They, they should be doing fighting out, uh, you know, the communication strategies, 
articulating what a conservative governing vision would look like and stopping bad bills. And instead, if, if you if you listen to what Senator McConnell or any of his surrogates in the media say, they will tell you that all of these bills and the joint appearances with President Biden and um, you know the the efforts to soft pedal criticisms of Mansion, which blew up in their face, yep. and to soft pedal criticisms of cinema have all prevented far worse things from happening. That's their line. Well, you can criticize us all you want, but the trillion-dollar infrastructure bill kept a $3 trillion infrastructure bill from being passed. Well, you can criticize us all you want on you know, uh, Title 42 stuff, but that's the only thing keeping them from doing a massive amnesty. And honestly, I think at this point, most Americans who have their eyes open can see that that's a total, complete absurdity. Um, we're, we're not ending up with better results. We're not avoiding the pitfalls of complete Democrat governance. We're ending up, as you said, with essentially uniparty, uh, uniparty priorities being enacted into law and Republicans being force-fed a diet of, of liberal progressive policy. So I, I, I totally think that's right. But this gets back to a macro topic. You know, I would have loved to shout you guys immediately after the election, which is we, we have to be smarter on the campaign side. How we raise money, how we spend money, where we recruit candidates, uh, because the advantages that you know the Senate Leadership Fund, that Senator McConnell and and his gang in the Senate have, uh, really, really does produce victories for them. And unfortunately, a lot of conservative think tanks, a lot of conservative activists, as I said, Dave McConnell, and sort of the crony establishment policies of you know 2008 forward a pass because of, you know, hashtag judges. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I think now it's, it's really important as we go forward in 2024, yes, the presidential cycle, the presidential, you know, primary campaign, whatever that looks like, but people should be really taking a hard, close look at, at their statewide elected officials who will make for a good Senate candidate and uh, start putting them through their paces now. Don't let Washington and Senator McConnell and that fundraising apparatus pick your members of the U.S. Senate. Get in front of that. No, we certainly need to, which is what I wanted to direct a little bit of attention to right now while we've got you on the show. Trump 2024 is is, is all systems go, and uh, we've had a lot of Trump surrogates on here in the past few weeks who have said, in addition to a lot of the work he's been doing behind the scenes, setting up basically like his war cabinet for the campaign trail and his, uh, you know, communication apparatus. Uh, the fact of the matter is, is that uh, he's getting ready to hit the road hard and going to start doing events. Maybe not Save America rally circuit size, but but showing up at, at places to give policy uh, points heading out into the new year. What are some of the things that you're hoping to see from from 45 as he's getting ready to hit the road here? And what are some of the adjustments? It's a completely different uh, battlefield than when he left it at the end of the 2020 presidential election cycle that he needs to uh, start addressing early and often as he's getting ready to hit the road here. Yeah, I think just just one quick hot take would be there's got to be almost an exclusive focus on children. Um, You know, when, when we were working on the Parkland shooting uh, the president had some really good instincts on, you know, unmitigated access to porn, um, on you know, proliferation of antisocial violent behaviors among certain teenage, particularly uh, teenage boys. Um, that's kind of where his head is at. But now with the element of the, you know, the forced taxpayer funded uh, 
transsexual surgeries, um, the, the proliferation of porn and sexualized curricula in our schools. I think a lot of, of, of American families of, and taxpayers are deeply concerned about the ideological indoctrination of America's youth. Um, and, you know, that sweeps in CRT, all of it. So I think any compelling campaign narrative or agenda has to be centered on, look, enough is enough. You want to pick on adults. You want to force, you know, affirmative action quotas on us in the workplace or something. We'll debate those. But now you're targeting children. Um, bridge too far and we'll go to the mattresses every time for America's youth. I think it's a really compelling message because it, it, you know, this is what the consultants are saying all the time, right? Well, we're losing suburban voters. We're losing suburban voters. And the, the argument is we're losing suburban voters because we're, you know, we either have too extreme of, of rhetoric or our policies are, quote, too far right, right? I, I don't think that's the case. I think we're losing suburban voters because we've given them no prescription to address the obvious evils that they see in their kids' schools, on their kids' soccer team. I heard from a woman just the other day who's involved in a mountain biking league here, um, super successful, you know, raised a lot of money, gotten a lot of kids' scholarships, uh, and they were just notified by a law firm out of San Francisco the other day that they've got four or five plaintiffs lined up, um, who essentially wanted to compete as young men against girls because they now identify as, as girls and they were refused that, you know, accommodation. And now they're threatening to shut down the league and, you know, bankrupt all these families that fundraise to support this, this, this sports competition. So that's the kind of stuff that it's, you know, that I think maybe we didn't do enough work on in the first administration and the focus on, on a Trump 2024 run that, that should be a, a singular forefront uh, attention is, is really making it plain that, look, this ideological warfare the left has been waging on the American people has now moved to young people. And uh, we're going we're gonna to fight that on every battlefield, every single one. No, that's a really good point you make there because I, I think the fact of the matter is we have to look at the things that are, aren't going away. The economy's not going away. Energy non-independence isn't going away. China and the CCP aren't going away. The crisis on the U.S. southern border aren't going away. So those are all going to be topics that he's going to be hitting on a regular basis. But when you're talking about adding some components that kind of diversifies himself from some of the other possible candidates who are going to get in the ring and, and one that really identifies – I mean, listen, you, you, even if you're not a parent, you're a brother, you're a sister, you're an uncle, you're an aunt – um, the fact of the matter is when you start really get providing receipts on some of the things that are going on with children these days, whether it be like on a societal basis when you're talking about just violence or all the stuff with the, uh, the trans community's agenda with them, I definitely think that hits home. We saw it be successful in races like Glenn Youngkin's back in, in 2020 as well, and I think it's definitely one. I, we, we've heard President Trump mention some of this stuff. He, he seems like flabbergasted that it's gotten to this point, and he's mentioned repeatedly that it's crazy that he needs to talk about it. He wouldn't have even thought about it. He says sometimes ten years ago, but I even think like five years ago, and now it's yeah, five years. Yeah, and now yeah. now it's something like it's it's at the forefront of pretty much almost everything that's going on. You can't scroll through social media without seeing like the newest transgender kid sponsored story time, or you know this closed event that someone was able to infiltrate and see like oh yeah they said it was supposed to be nice and wholesome, and then you see like little kids in there and people are like flashing fake yeah. private parts in front of them and whatever. So I, I definitely like where that's going. Yeah, and I, and I think I, I spoke to a group in Northside who here like a, a month ago and I said, you know, look, um, 
you know, you have these, these Santa drag shows. This is totally in line with what Donald Trump has been saying for years. The war on Christmas isn't just a, oh, some city, some leftist city, you know, refused to put up the Christmas tree this year and instead is celebrating Kwanzaa. No, he understood if, you know, intuitively that this was a bigger front um, to destabilize our cultural traditions, to deprive young people of growing up and knowing their own history. So CRT, uh, the trans agenda, the sexualization of our children, that's all obvious, but even something like immigration. I mean, the, the, the fight over Title 42, the massive wave of illegal aliens sweeping across the southern border, that all has to do with children as well, because the elites of this country are totally fine. They're totally, completely okay with depriving America's children of employability, of jobs, of access to schooling on behalf of, you know, foreign nationals who will be cheap labor, or at least their parents will be cheap labor. And I think, you know, someone like Donald Trump is uniquely positioned to make the case that immigration, energy, our national security policy, uh, trade with China is all ultimately linked to, are we going to have a country? And if we have a country, uh, how prosperous and how habitable will it be for, for our children going forward? Exactly. I mean, Theo, I don't think you can end with anything more powerful than that. It's been great having you back on the show. I will not be as putting as much pressure on you as to get you back, but we will be looking for you sometime maybe towards the end of January, but beginning of February to start talking about stuff. We're going to see a lot of developments between now and then. We're going to know who's possibly, well, the RNC chair and the Speaker of the House by then, and, and maybe some stuff that President Trump's rolling out on his 2024 campaign trail. But uh, anyone who's not following you and wants to, to check you out, what, what, what can we live link in the show description today? Uh, at real Theo Wold on uh, Twitter and on Instagram. And yeah, you guys are doing a great job. Uh, I'm glad Elon got you guys plugged back in after that momentary ban. <laughs> um, that was ridiculous, but it, thanks again for having me on guys. And I'm looking forward to being back in January. No, we, we uh, definitely love having you on here. And uh, again, we'll live link those in the show description today. Get some of our followership checking you out as well. It's former special assistant to president Trump, Theo Wold. Thanks for joining us on the show. Thanks again. To that end, the first big Biden event of the new year will be a Wednesday trip to Kentucky to promote bipartisanship and infrastructure spending. And Biden will be joined at that event by the Republican Senate Minority Leader, Mitch McConnell. Mm. See, and that's Arlette Sines joins us now from St. Croix. Uh, Arlette, what is the president's plan to begin the new year, especially with the new divided government? Well, President Biden is hopping on that plane and heading back to Washington to that new political reality of divided government. And for the start of the week, he is planning to make bipartisanship a key uh, messaging push as he heads to Kentucky, where he will be joined by Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, as well as the Republican governor of Ohio, Mike DeWine. They will be there in the state to promote the bipartisan infrastructure law and the funding that that will provide to a bridge that connects Kentucky with Ohio. Now, this is part of a messaging push that we're expecting from the president and the White House in the coming weeks. His advisors say he will be touting a lot of those bipartisan accomplishments heading into the State of the Union address in the coming months. Of course, last year they saw bipartisan wins, uh, not just on infrastructure, but also when it came to semiconductor investment here in the United States, as well as a host of other issues. But really... To that. Mm-hmm. So... Surprising to some, but not us. Joe Biden's first official kickoff the 2023 agenda item will be 
hightailing it down in Kentucky to meet with Republican Senate Minority Leader Werther's original spokesman, mm. Mitch McConnell. Good old Mitch McConnell. We have a Mitch McConnell pro- problem in this country. Like, I don't know what to do with. Mm-hmm. Uh, I put out another Substack yesterday afternoon, kind of addressing it. it. It outlines a lot of the stuff people seem to get distracted on. But when you look at all the root causes of a lot of the issues we're having, whether it be the amount of legislation that Joe Biden has been a allowed to pass basically without any kind of consequence or repercussion in addition to that, how that legislation, those legislations have kind of set the entire world on fire. And with no... it's putting it nicely. Yeah, no congressional... Well, it's really going to be on fire if Russia presses the button. Oof. But without any kind of pushback from the very slim minority in the Senate, uh, Mitch McConnell has been complicit in basically being the Democrats' best weapon of choice. Mm -hmm. Uh, We saw that with the passing of the omnibus bill just last week where we could have, listen, done another CR to get it to today. And even though we probably wouldn't have gotten to address it today because of what's going down up on Capitol Hill with the Speaker of the House, we do have an update there as well. I saw the first round of votes came in, and uh, Akeem Jeffries, Democrat, had the most votes at 212. McCarthy came in at 203. Andy Biggs with 10, Jim Jordan with 6, Jim Banks with 1, Byron Donalds, and then Lee Zeldin with 1 as well on the first ballot. First time since 1923, as we informed you earlier, um, that a speaker was not elected on the first ballot. In addition, we did see after the first vote uh, was completed, obviously they're going to recess for a little bit and take a break. It's lunchish time there now, so Jim Jordan rushed from his spot where he was huddled with the delegation that included Chip Roy and went over and approached Kevin McCarthy, they shook hands, spoke briefly, looked to be speaking pretty normal, and then they both exited the chamber separately. So that's kind of where we're at there. Um, Matt Gates was also seen celebrating with another member of the House after the House Republican leader, Kevin McCarthy, failed to score votes in the first round as well. So you have the uh, just deal with it shit poster meme glasses confirmed. <laughs> and that's kind of where we're at. I'm just thinking off of the time of the day and, and, and where the show's gone, we won't have a Speaker of the House within the parameters of this episode, but we will have a full breakdown with commentary on Friday when we're back at you on that edition of Steak for Breakfast. But uh, we're talking about our Mitch McConnell problem here, and I strongly suggest if anybody has not subscribed to our Substack, you must do so. Uh, All of our opinion pieces are extremely thorough, to say the least. Lots of receipts, and we kind of like give you a chronological timeline of where this started, and, and we're talking about with the immediate problems with Mitch McConnell, halfway point of the Trump administration, late 2017-ish, right before the midterms, and that kind of opened up the floodgates. Their fight to the death with each other uh, on social media, especially from Donald Trump's part, you know, you know, he's still hammering him away, he hammered him on New Year's, and it seemed like I wanted to make it kind of a short and sweet substack, but when I started writing it and, and you start to snowball all the stuff that's going on, um, you really can't not include everything of basically how we got to this point. And, uh, you know, even as recent as January 1st, mid-afternoon here, Donald Trump, uh, his New Year's tweet, Happy New Year to all the radical left Democrats, Marxist lunatics, <laughs> China-loving Coco Chow, <laughs> and her obedient husband, Mitch 
and clueless rhinos who are working hard to destroy our once great country. More importantly, Happy New Year to all the incredible, brave, and strong American patriots who build, love, and cherish America. The real leaders of our country will always remain faithful and loyal to you. The USA will be back bigger, better, and stronger than ever before. God bless you all. But he did have to hit him. He hits him every week, sometimes multiple times a week. It seems like the only person that's been talking about Mitch McConnell the entire time, while we all want to talk about all these other things, we've got transhumanism, we've got China, we're getting further away from God and, and more embracing the LBGT whatever community in this country, the issues we've got going on at schools, all the problems along with our election. How did all of these problems be able to get spiraled out of control? It's due to the fact that Mitch McConnell, basically, because he's bent the knee to the Democrats over the last several decades, is allowed to weaponize the administrative state at his behest against the American people. And, and listen, he was instrumental in crushing the Tea Party movement, and we were lucky to still have the House Freedom Caucus there. Mm -hmm. He's got his foot on the throat of MAGA, and this is our last chance to take him on. And until people up on Capitol Hill... And I'm talking about the good ones. That's a big part of what this Substack is. I love Matt Gates. I love Tom Massey, Chip Roy, Jim Jordan, Comer, Good, all those guys in the House side. When you get up to the Senate, we love Ron John on this show. Rand Paul, huge fans. Ted Cruz, when he's doing his job, he does it well. Mm -hmm. Josh Hawley, amazing. But listen, it becomes it gets to the point to where like we had mentioned earlier in the show, like with Chaffetz and Gowdy back in the day up on congressional committees. Talking only gets you so far. In, in this digital age where we live in, when you only say stuff and don't act or can't whip a bigger delegation, maybe you should be doing less talking and more whipping. Whipping. Whip. You got one, Antoinette? Whip. There you go. <laughs> this is what happens. You know, I love the fact that when the omnibus bill was was about to get passed, Rand Paul brought it out in a little red wagon and they all shit on it and talked about all the stuff in there. Same thing with the House counterparts. Mm -hmm. Fact of the matter is, Rand Paul, Ted Cruz, Ron Johnson, Josh Hawley, they didn't do their job. You know, you actually had people who only vote some of the time with Democrats, like Lindsey Graham and Tom Cotton, and I do understand the words military and war were in there, so they were both going to vote for it. Yeah. But the fact of the matter is, the time for talking is over. And we will lose the House again in 2024 if, if we don't have people in there who are willing to fight. And, and part of that is going to eventually be electing a Speaker of the House who's going to have the balls to stand up to Mitch McConnell. And we get – Raheem Kassam touched on this. We love to talk about elections right before the elections. We like to talk about candidates right before we go to the ballot box. And that goes for everything, Speaker of the House, RNC chair. And as we're coming down the pike here, the president – Obviously, we'll be talking about it more because we're a political commentary show, but that's neither here nor there. The fact of the matter is, instead of talking about this stuff then or in those instances, we all need to be talking about it more on like a 24-7 basis. And, and, and we're basically getting into a, we have to play a game of chicken with Mitch McConnell in his advanced age and probably only going to be able to serve one more term as senator if he runs again. This is it. Because if we allow him... We've already told you this more than once. Joe Biden going down to Kentucky to do his first presidential duties of the 2023 year with Mitch McConnell. Presidential duties? Presidential duties. Duty. That's on the plane on the way there. Oh, yeah. yeah. It'll be and clean. It'll be clean. Before maybe on the walk down the ramp. Listen, they won't be dry mouth because they'll all be <laughs> sucking on some worthers. <laughs> the Biden amnesty bill is coming. I'm telling you this. 
It, yeah. it, it will be the crown jewel of Joe Biden's legacy, and the only person that can ensure it passes is Mitch McConnell. If we don't figure out a way to stop him now, it's going to allow that bill to pass. It's going to tank the 2020 presidential election cycle. And in a place where Democrats, 23 seats, including two independents that they have to defend on the Senate side, we can turn the balance of power here, but it needs to start now. We can't wait until we go to the ballot box in November of 2024 to try and say, oh, yeah, we're going to fix this as soon as they get sworn in in 2020. That's too late. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just reached a point right now where we have to uh, really take into context here of what's going on. And, and when you look at a lot of the problems in this country, not where we are now, but how they've been allowed to get there. Mm-hmm. It's because people get distracted and people don't have enough of a, of a spine to stand up to an 81-year-old man who literally does sound like the Werther's original spokesman. We yeah. gave you that receipt two shows ago. Let's hear Joe Biden as he arrived back from St. Croix yesterday on the White House lawn. And How and- much money did they spend flying that fucking... Uh, omnibus? omnibus? Yeah, the omnibus bill to him. I guarantee it got there a lot faster than the people who are still stranded at the airports from like, the holiday weekend. Did they, did they like mail it like next day air freight or was it actual like somebody holding it in a, well, wagon? It, it, it was flown <laughs> It was flown down on a private plane at your tax dollars. That's so green. Mm-hmm. 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 What a bunch of assholes. Could have used like one of them drones. Asshole. Of, I was going to say a bunch of what? Yeah. Asshole. Here's the first asshole giving some commentary to the reporters who were waiting for him when he got off of Marine One yesterday. Why is it important to go with Mitch McConnell to Kentucky? Why is that significant to be with McConnell there? No, and just walks away. I mean, that was some shitty sound quality, but like when he was talking and I couldn't understand what he was saying, it seemed perfectly normal. <laughs> he didn't miss much. He just said that the uh, amount of legislation that they were able to pass was a lot the, of money. Yeah, the bipartisan infrastructure bill was a lot of money. You should have heard. The other clip I found, it had like that really high-pitched whistle that helicopters give off when they're powering Mm. down. Mm. My daughter was on the other side of the house and ran into the room I was in and asked me what that noise was, (laughs) and both of my dogs started barking. (laughs) So I figured that one with a little crappier sound quality and a little less whistle was better off. But uh, Whistle. Whistle. We already done whip. Um. We, we did see some people, MSNBC fake reports, they were talking about this breaking news yesterday and, and some of the intricacies that go into this relationship. And, and that's what Joe Biden did say there. He said they've been friends for a long time, and this legislation that he helped me pass is worth a lot of money. So there you go. Um, let's hear them kind of weigh in and, and, and discuss this uh, situation. Coming out of the White House today, President Biden will be touting his infrastructure bill this week in Kentucky, and alongside him will be Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell. Mike Memley was the first to report this story and joins me now from St. Croix, where the president is spending his holiday weekend. So, Mike, no surprise here that the president wants to be publicizing this project in Kentucky, but McConnell, pretty unusual for the leader of the opposition in the Senate to be touting this as well. He could easily just skip this event. 
Yeah, Lindsay, I got to say, I'm really fascinated by this announcement the White House making today that the very first public event the president will be holding on the road this, this year uh, will be not necessarily a surprise, as you say, the topic, talking about the infrastructure law. There are going to be 20,000 infrastructure projects being funded by that law this year. You'll see the president and other officials traveling the country, promoting them all. And, and you know, for a lot of those people out there who were hopeful or, or had the, the prospect that Mitch McConnell might be in a little bit more during a presidential election cycle to uh, assist in some of the senatorial candidates on the Republican side, because remember, we only have we only have 10 seats to defend in comparison with the Democrats, who I already had mentioned is, is 23. And we're going to start getting into these numbers a lot more as we get this new year kicked off, because we're in an election cycle again, believe it or not. Um, can, you, can you have a bigger tell than that? I mean, I mean, Antoinette, does it I mean, it shouldn't surprise you, but. To, to see, like, what's going on on Capitol Hill today with the Speaker of the House. I mean, everybody's obviously up there. They're getting sworn in. They're getting their congressional pictures taken, this, that, and the other thing. And then Mitch McConnell, he might be hopping on a plane with Joe Biden, and they're heading down to Kentucky tomorrow for this event, which we will provide as much coverage on as tolerable on our Friday edition of the show as well. But what do you think, Antoinette? I mean, I don't even know what to think anymore, to be honest. It's just, it's a shit show. I'd, I mean, you know how I feel about it. I'm just kind of waiting to see what happens, to be fair. Yeah. And then for people that, that you know, live in the sense of hopium, yeah. thinking that Mitch McConnell is going to be dishing out those big bucks after what we saw with, with Lisa Murkowski, who was another, you know, vote for the for the omnibus bill last week. Uh, probably aren't going to get much help, especially if there's some MAGA-endorsed candidates out there, right? Mm-hmm. Definitely not if we get some of the retreads from the 2024 cycle. I definitely think people like Blake Masters and Adam Laxalt are, are, are good enough to go again. And We just need to throw those guys in the mix right now. Let's just do it mm-hmm. ahead of time. Mm-hmm. Just announce your candidacy yeah, today. Yeah, guess what? Here you go. These, these yeah. are the guys. I, I don't have Adam's cell phone number, but I could I could text Blake Masters after yeah. the show. Ask him. Blake, <laughs> we need you <laughs> now. Coco, now. Ch- Coco Chow's husband's out of control. <laughs> what I'm most excited for out of this – entire event is the the truth post that's going to come down <laughs> so i wonder if he's going to refer to him i mean he just calls him china mitch the obedient <laughs> husband of coco chow elaine coco chow now so i wonder how much more we'll, we'll get after they actually do their their joint presser together uh coco chow? huh did he really say coco chow every time he tweets about mitch mcconnell's wife he calls her elaine coco chow I did not know that yeah <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> fucking love it. Yeah, you can't hate it. Um, and you know, I tell you what, the the mainstream media has just been having a day with this because they've they've been running around pretty much unabated, and and, and talking about, you know, what's going on with Joe Biden and and how he's going to, uh, you know, start the victory tour right now for his legislation over the course of the past two years, especially last year, and. We just can't really dismiss the fact that they're not already have having a lot of stuff in the work, like a possible immigration plan. Let's hear how the gang on Meet the Fake Press reveled with enjoyment at the uh, upcoming presser between Mitch McConnell, Joe Biden, down in Kentucky, talking infrastructure. 
under what the White House, your White House sources are saying that they're bracing for. And I wonder what they make of all this drama. Are they just sitting back and watching or what are you hearing? Yeah, that's definitely, I think, a good way to put it, Yamish. They are happy to let this drama continue to unfold within the Republican Party, one that they have continued to talk about as having this major identity crisis, as continuing to not have a clear narrative or path forward. So they are content to let that play out. But it's happening at the same time as President Biden is getting ready to make this huge pitch, they say, for bipartisanship and trying to make the case that Washington is only going to be able to get things done if Republicans and Democrats can find a couple of areas to work together on. And he's going to use what happened in the last year and a half with the CHIPS manufacturing bill and the bipartisan infrastructure law yeah. to try to make that case. And on Wednesday, he's going to be appearing alongside Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell in Kentucky. And that is a rare event for the two to be at this official unveiling of more than $1.6 billion that's going to go toward this all-important interstate crossing bridge between Kentucky and Ohio. So President Biden is also going to be there with the Republican governor of Ohio, Mike DeWine, again, trying to say that when Democrats and Republicans come together, a lot can get accomplished. But as you see there, oh, Air Mr. Force Garrison. One just landing <laughs> at Joint Base Andrews, returning from that vacation where we didn't see very much of President Biden. He was taking time with his family to, in his words, they were going to talk about what might come next, these big 2024 discussions that have been looming. But he joked to some reporters a couple of days ago when they asked him how those conversations were going, he said, what, like there's an election happening or something? Uh -huh. So he's happy to step back, uh -huh. Uh -huh. let other things progress before he's going to make any big declaration. But again, we know from our sources and conversations even with the First Lady that all signs point to yes, that they're going to gear up for another bid. Alzheimer's? But they're going to try to make 2023 about this bipartisanship <laughs> effort, oh, trying to say here mm. might be some other things we can accomplish and work on together. Oh. And one of the areas where we may see this in terms of the conversation about Congress is in a State of the Union address, which the White House says in the coming weeks, the president will put a major focus on bipartisanship there. And again, trying to tout these things that did work when both parties came together, how they'll be able to point to implemented with the example of this infrastructure law, Yamish. Uh, quite a split screen when you think of Mitch McConnell and President Biden um, getting ready to go to, to Kentucky. And of course, the president just landing there. Um, mm -hmm. Bipartisanship nope. me means immigration amnesty bill. Yeah. It's the only thing it means. They've already knocked out infrastructure. They've done COVID relief. They broke down the Green New Deal and sprinkled it across everything, including the omnibus that passed. There's only so much left that they can work towards bipartisanly in a time where we're heading into a presidential election year. So that's what's kind of shaping up there. I think the sound bites not from Joe Biden or even from Mitch McConnell. Maybe the commentary about the sound bites that we'll provide on Friday will we'll kind of dive deeper a little bit into this. But there was some things to celebrate today. Yeah. And in our last audio clip of the day, we do have to make mention that as the 118th Congress gets sworn in, I'm sure you guys both are aware of, we're saying goodbye to some of our strongest Congress people. <laughs> Liz Cheney, Adam Kinzinger have begun the first day of the rest of their lives. They're boxing up all their shit? Oh, they're got Listen, Kinzinger was like shitting on somebody last night. I quoted the tweet and I was like, box your fucking shit up <laughs> and just posted it. 
I saw him on, on CNN this weekend, State of the Fake Union again, and in his outgoing interview as what some would consider, air quoting now, a Republican congressman. Mm. Let's hear what the future holds for this bright, young, conservative star. Last year, you told the Huffington Post you would love to go up against Trump in the 2024 primary. You said, quote, I think it'd be fun. It would be fun. Are you going to run for president? No, it's not my intention, no. But <laughs> it would be fun to run against him because he stands up and just lies. He tells untruths. What? People love it because it's entertaining. But eventually people have a concern for their country. So no, my intention is not to run in 2024. Um, but it would be fun. It would be fun to stand on a stage with Donald Trump and actually tell the truth because when he's on a stage, it's nothing but lies that come out. It would be fun to get absolutely scorched and fried, really. Mm -hmm. these, <laughs> he would never in his life do it because he knows the repercussions. The now former junior congressman from Illinois <laughs> often forgets what that debate stage looked like in 2015 <laughs> and the fact that there were some seasoned <laughs> veterans up there. Career politicians, members of the intelligence community. They got smoked. Former and current yeah. senators, governors, and presidential candidates. That Rand Paul, when Donald Trump looked down the podium and said, I remember when you were right next to me. Now you're all the way down there. There's only one place for you to go. <laughs> like, what is this? Essentially a child, Ukraine-loving, January 6th promoting, mm. hopefully soon to be McDonald's manager. Manager? How about Fry Cook? There you go. And I want Max sauce on the McDouble. Fry At least cook. my kids do. Not, not there's anything wrong with being a fry cook. Sorry. Hey. We do want to apologize to our fry cooking community and the longstanding positive relationship we've had with them. Oh. But the fact of the matter is, happy trails, assholes. And as we're getting ready to, you know, close the door on the north side of 200 episodes. Asshole. Thank you. I think uh, moving forward, we've set a pretty good standard on uh, where we're going, at least news-wise, heading into the new year. Mission accomplished? Not really. Well, when it comes to the Speaker of the House, I know throughout the show we played Matt Gates nominating Jim Jordan. He graciously didn't accept it and renominated Kevin McCarthy for Speaker of the House. That's kind of where we're at today on this episode of the show. And if you enjoyed it and like to hear the other 200 episodes of Steak for Breakfast podcast, you can find us across every downloadable podcasting platform. We're on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, Podata, Google Podcast, FM Player, iHeartRadio, the Patriot Podcast Network on the Roku app. Or even on Frank's speech. Subscribe to the show and rate it. Leave a review and don't forget to download, listen, like, follow, and share Steak for Breakfast content. Show creds go to our amazing guest today, former special assistant to the 45th president of the United States, Mr. Theo Wold, and tech policy expert, Fox News contributor, Heritage Foundation all-star Jake Denton. So glad we had them on the show and uh, looking forward to have both of them back a little bit later in the month. Friends, don't forget to follow our sponsors heading into the new year. The only thing you do when you throw some of your hard-earned cash at them is help make small American businesses great again, namely MyPillow. Everybody loves Mike Lindell. Hopefully you like sleep a little bit more, maybe even some coffee. If you enter promo code stake at checkout, you're going to get big, big savings across all their platforms. MyPillow.com forward slash steak for anything sleep-related. MyStore.com forward slash steak for the coffee. Or you can always talk to a qualified pillow representative, one 800 658 45 the top tier of ear gear the best damn headphones that i've ever worn owned noah you 
10 out of 10. Top 11, five, top 11 out of 10. Ooh, I like it. Want to know a little bit more about this and you're serious in the studio getting that podcast kicked off of the new year. Audazy.com is the website. Find them on Facebook and Instagram as well. Our good friend Alan's company, My Patriot Cigars, they are delicious. I think Noah smokes them almost every day. No. Podcasting show days. Sometimes. You love them, though. I do love them. You get a promo code stake here. You're getting 15% off all orders over 100 bucks. Free shipping and a $10 e-gift card is included with every purchase. MyPatriotCigars.com is the website. A premium of smoke for freedom-loving patriots. Stay ready, your holsters. What are we coming with today? Ooh, uh, just have Matt Gates with the uh, deal with it sunglasses on. Yeah, I like it. If you want that image etched onto a concealed carry Cadex holster, send them your concept art. They'll get your order out faster than ever before. Stayreadygear.com is the website. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram too. Man rubs. Hmm. Man rubs tonight. I think I may. I might. I think I might. <laughs> Try some delicious man rubs tonight. It is a excellent compliment to any of your uh, protein-laden main course. Manrubs.com is the website. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram, too. Mike down at West Coast Survival Arms has a pretty simple equation for all your gun-related needs, firearms, parts, accessories, and ammo. The newly redesigned, easy-to-use website is westcoastsurvivalarms.com. He's on Facebook Messenger. You can give him a call, 619-870-6992. Mediocre Medic for all our first responders. You're going to like everything they have in their store. You're going to love their Instagram. Just a little bit more. MediocreMedic.com is the website there. And last but certainly not least, we've got some new Zero Fuck Duckage coming out here soon. Check it out. Dumpbox.us. Find them on Instagram. Find them on Facebook. Upcoming shows. We're coming back on Friday. So far, we've got former ambassador Rick Grinnell scheduled. Nice. Always a delight when he pops in. Next month or next Tuesday, we're kicking it back off and, and coming in hot. Jorge Ventura will be live from the border. Miss Christina Bob will be coming in to do a little bit of the news. And we're actually going to get a uh, little bit less of a raucous segment with one of our favorite guests, <laughs> Cash Patel. He survived the weekend. I talked to him. Nice. Um, Devin Nunez will be in on the 20th. Christina Bob and Matt Whitaker will be here on the 24th. Jake Denton's coming back on the 27th. And I've got a little bit more of scheduling to do. Let's see. Friends of the week. Got our new list to kick off the new year. Our Truth Social Twitch streamers, Beastie Man, Siberian Kitten, and Friends, Indiana Zoomer, and some call me Tim79. Across Twitter and a couple other platforms, Ghost Hammer. I love him. Noah? Yep. Are you sure this time? Yeah. Not going to hit the asshole button? No. What if I wait? Asshole. He said it, not me. <laughs> Spoopy, William S., and the Upside Down Guy. We've also got some of the meme team. They're coming in hot for the New Year's. There's been some great ones. I can only imagine looking at the, the uh, Speaker of the House memes that are going to be coming out today. John Hacker, LA, Soul Memes. Thank you for that Trump heading into 2023 video that you threw out there. Let's go, Brenda. Mostly peaceful memes. That Southern dude, grand old memes. Meme Mars back on Twitter. If you're not following him and you find the cartoon picture of Muammar Gaddafi and there's shit tier memes on there, <laughs> you've found the right account. Madam America, Dumbass Photoshop, and the Duke of Memes around them out today. Things to remember between now and Friday. Number one, do your own research. Apparently, Kevin McCarthy didn't do enough of it. Because <laughs> at this point, he doesn't have votes to become Speaker of the House. Number two, start a podcast. Yeah, easy today. I'm looking at my watch. You must be happy. Yep. 
Number three, let's start talking about American greatness again. We talked about a lot of things that aren't really great in America today, but I can assure you it was only an attempt to stop talking about American greatness moving forward. And last but certainly not least, let's see what happens regarding the Speaker of the House. Eh. This has been episode 201 of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. Wait, they're not doing mail-ins for the Speaker of the House, are they? Nor proxies. (laughs) And we'll be back with 202 on Friday. Ambassador Rick Grinnell, at the very least, will be here. You have for the entire pot team. I'm Roan Noah. Later. Antoinette. Okay. Thanks for listening and take care. Where are you, Dr. Lecter? I have no plans to call on you, Clarice. The world's more interesting with you in it. So you take care now to extend me the same courtesy. You know I can't make that promise. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye.